Hi, this is Ivy Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I'm also the host of Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight, and I'm the editor of the anthology, which you should run out and buy, called Moms Don't Have Time to, a quarantine anthology. All proceeds of that book go to COVID-19 vaccine research. And I'm the editor-in-chief of Moms Don't Have Time to Write, a new publication on Medium, and we're accepting submissions, so please send your personal essays there. And if all that isn't enough, you can follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens, and my website is zibbyowens.com. Okay, now back to this amazing podcast. Maria Edelman is the author of Girls of a Certain Age. Her work has been published by Tin House, N Plus One, The Three Penny Review, Indiana Review, Epic, McSweeney's Internet Tendency, Alaska Quarterly Review, Michigan Quarterly Review, and many others. She has an MFA in fiction from the University of Virginia. Welcome, Maria. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. So Girls of a Certain Age is a collection of stories. Why don't you tell listeners what inspired you to put this collection together and what in general this whole collection is about? So the collection is 13 stories and the narrators are all women and they're all told in the first person. And I would say the overarching themes are it's about the complexities of modern girl and womanhood, what it means to live in the female body. And also how people deal with different kinds of loss, regular losses in life. And I wrote a lot of it in my 20s. So a lot of it was partially me figuring things out as I went along. And it turned out that a lot of the stories had similar themes and they kind of fit together in this collection. Beautiful. So was, I know you got your MFA. Is this Was this part of your program or when did you do this? When did you start writing the essays? Well... Some, I actually, the very first drafts of, I wrote in college. Wow. Um, and then I got a job and stopped writing. And then I went to an MFA program just to get some time to write. And a lot of the stories I wrote there and then a few of them afterwards. So, Wow. I have to tell you, the one that has stuck with me the most, although I really liked a lot of them, but the one about Flower the dog and the kick in the shin to the woman and the truck and the twist at the end that I kind of didn't see coming, even though it was only like a two-page story. (laughs) (laughs) And just the intensity of that story and what it meant about like abuse and a relationship and oh my gosh, like you fit a lot into one little story. That's, I mean, and over and over and over again, but that, I don't know. I just keep thinking about this half pit bull and the van and the pickup truck and the diner and oh my gosh. Anyway. (laughs) Well, thank you. I appreciate that. That story is actually funny because I started it with this idea that, you know, a woman would find like, you know how people toast their bread and they see like Madonna or something in the toast. I thought she would, this woman would see Jesus in her toast and she'd want to keep the toast. And that was my idea for that story. And I wrote about that. And then it turned out the story was really about her relationship and this dog and, and abuse. Yeah. So I kept calling the file Jesus toast story and slowly there was no Jesus in the story. There was no toast and it was a completely different story, but the file was still (laughs) called that. (laughs) Amazing. Also the first one and only the good about Hugh and all of that. When you wrote the sentence, I was like, this is so perfect. You said, I heard a snippet of landslide. Songs are like tarot cards. Tell me about that. I love that analogy and it's so true. Just tell me a little bit about choosing that 
analogy and sentence and all of that. I actually, yeah, I think that has a lot to do with reading and writing. You have to leave space in the text for people to see what they want to see and see part of themselves in the story or the poem or whatever. And yeah, I just... Yeah, I listen to songs all the time and I that's about me. That's about this and someone else will listen and think it's about something else. So, what are some of your that. favorite types of music? What do you like to listen to? I'm actually I mean, I listen to a lot of 60s music, older songs, and then I say music is one of the art forms I know almost nothing about and I want to keep it that way because I don't want to be able to judge it. You know, I read a book and I think, oh, I don't like this. It's not my style. And I just want to stay completely non-judgmental about music so I can listen to my Taylor Swift and not <laughs> worry about whether it's good or bad. <laughs> I love that. Sort of an, an unexamined art is <laughs> gives you even yeah. more benefit. So tell me about your process of writing. I know you started these essays a long time ago, but when you sit down to write a story and obviously they change over time, as you already have said, like, where do you like to write? Where do you, how do you fit it into your regular life? Do you wait for inspiration or do you say like, okay, Saturday mornings, I'm going to go to a coffee shop and write. Like what, what is, how does writing fit into your life? I, at some point, you know, I was working a full-time job right after college. And I didn't have any time to write. There was just no way I was, I didn't have enough energy, really. I I wasn't going to ever fit it in. And that's why I went to the MFA program. And after that, I decided to freelance so I could spend half my time writing and half my time making some money. (laughs) So, so I try to leave my mornings for writing now is is my goal. And I I don't know how sustainable that is long-term, but I try to write in the morning when I have the most energy and where I write that, you know, I have almost always lived in shared spaces. My desk is in right now in the living room, which is also the dining room. So I don't tend to be too picky about that. I'll write in cafes or just at home or wherever I can manage it. So (laughs) that's the logistics. Amazing. You also wrote in your story, Pets Are for Rich Kids, which is a really interesting title. Gotta love it. (laughs) You named one of the characters Susie Cakes. And I just wanted to know, like, that is my favorite, all-time favorite bakery in California. And I don't know if you've ever heard of it or seen it, but you have to, like, do something with the publication with Susie Cakes now because it's amazing. Just letting you know. I had no idea that was that was a bakery. Yeah. In the story, that's a pot pig. And I just love pet names can be so funny. I actually is, did 4-H with pot pigs and there was a pot pig named Oreo. And I was thinking of that and somehow got to Susie Cakes, which I just thought was funny. <laughs> All right. Well, when we get when we stop this podcast, you have to go and Google Susie Cakes. And if you okay. ever end up in the, in the California area, because they also, I think, have stores in Texas. Not to keep talking about this, but they have this like what's it called, like a marble cake. Anyway, it's amazing. And anyone listening who's in California and who has not gone to Susie Cakes, you must go. I should make them a sponsor. But anyway, <laughs> it's my one of my favorites. I have to say. Also, in the story, when I'm forgetting the names here, I think this was still the story about Hugh when someone's brother comes back from the military. Am I getting this right? And her mm-hmm. brother, was it Leanne or did, is that the other story? No, different story. 
I can barely even like keep my kids' names straight, let alone like the 13 sets of characters in your book, but I have the stories in my head. So when her brother comes home and she opens the door and thinks like, how can I, who is this person? And he won't even let her hug him, right? Even though they're siblings after he gets home from Afghanistan, he says like, not in the, not in the uniform. So he like carefully goes and hangs it up and then comes back and she's like, okay, how about now? He's like, okay, now is fine. And then they kind of cuddle as, you know, she goes through this horrific abortion, essentially. Anyway, that was another really moving story. Tell me a little bit about the military aspect. And it seemed so real. Do you have experience with somebody who has come from, you know, a deployment or how did you decide to incorporate that element? Yeah, there's a few of my stories that incorporate someone going to or coming home from war. And my brother was in the military for 10 years in the Air Force, and his best friend was also in the military. So that's where that comes from. And, you know, that story is made up, but there's a sibling relationship that is close, but you see the tension in that scene, you know, like, don't, no, you can't hug me now. And the sister is like waiting, okay, now can we hug? And there is sometimes that kind of tension with sister brother relationships. So yeah, I was just sort of exploring what it what it means to have a family member leave for a long period of time and be in an unsafe situation and how it I think how it feels for the people who are left behind, because there's another story about a wife whose husband has been deployed. And so that's how I got sort of to exploring that theme. And is your brother, does, is he still deployed? Is he back or what's... No, story? he's in the US and he's out of the military now. So, And I know you captured this feeling in the stories, but tell me what it's like to have someone you love. I mean, I know you have like little details, like you're always sort of checking the time and wondering where they are and things like that. But tell me a little more about that feeling because that just tell me what that's like living with the knowledge that somebody you love is like at such risk. He wasn't deployed for very long. Actually, he was stationed mostly in the U.S., so that I feel lucky for. But yeah, it just leaves you sort of nervous all the time, I think. And I think actually there's probably a similar feeling a lot of people are feeling now with, you know, high-risk relatives in COVID times and not being able to see them. You know, you're always wondering, are they okay? I mean, like, even now I want to call my family all the time, just make sure people are okay. And, you know, that's kind of, I think, the feeling when you have someone in a situation that's dangerous and and can't get to them. So what are you hoping for? This book is coming out in February, and I'm sure I'll be releasing this right when it comes out, although we're doing this ahead of time. But what is, like, the game plan for you? Do you want to just write forever? Do you want to do more full-length novels? Do you want to keep doing stories? Do you want to do, like, what? what's your wish list? I feel like you're still so young and there's so much to do. Like, what's your, what's on your bucket list in the writing area? I don't feel so young. So I feel like I need to, to make those decisions soon. I really love the short story. I love reading the short story. I mean, they notoriously do not sell as well as novels. I'm working on a novel right now. And so that's sort of like the next hurdle I have in front of me. But I mean, personally, I hope for a creative life, whether that's more other arts or writing or both. I just really don't, if I can help it, I don't want to be tied to a full-time job. I want to be like creating as much as I can. So that's already a pretty big ask, I think. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. 
<laughs> what advice would you have to aspiring authors? I guess, I mean, there's a lot of advice that everyone says that it often seems true, you know, read a lot, kill your darlings, et cetera. But something that really stuck with me as a visiting writer at UVA, and I don't remember who it was, but they said a lot of writers do it right, but they don't do it well. And I think that means that you can write something that's technically perfect that can sort of lack the heart and energy of someone like on a journey of discovery. And I think, you know, it's sort of like Netflix right now puts out a movie, a movie, a movie every second. And they're, they're good. They're nothing is wrong about them, but they're not, they lack that heart and energy. And so I think that that is sort of, you know, one of the most important parts of writing is less trying to get it perfect and just instead trying to find the heart of the story. Amazing. And what are, what are you reading now? Like, what do you like to read? I love reading short stories. I just finished Blacklight. Have you heard of that one? Mm-mm. It was it was nominated for some prize last year. It was a really good collection of stories, all of them about female characters, mostly, I think. That was really good. I read some nonfiction. I do read some novels <laughs> in a while. I find it hard to be in one voice while I'm writing. So I find it easier to read a short story where you can get into a voice, get out of it. And then if I'm not writing, I'll start start into the novels a little bit more. Interesting. Love it. Well, congratulations on this book and the collection of stories. And I'm going to be like holding my shin in, you know, sympathetic pain empathy, whatever, (laughs) for the story that I can't get out of my head. And it was lovely talking to you. And I'm really excited for your book to come out. Thank you. Thanks so much. Okay. Have a great day. And thanks for coming. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 